Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The first act is called The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this episode. It is a Thursday episode, 1178. Right next to me is... Kimmy! I got one name! Hi there, I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. Yes, they're all sane right around me. I'm not. Uh, behind me, the two fur kids, one chewing up a fur toy. Uh, you might hear that in the background. Don't know if you will or won't. And right next to me, to my left, is Kimmy. She's wide awake, ready to go. Recording this right before sunrise on Thursday morning. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. Are you feeling better? You were feeling a little down and out uh, after we recorded episode, uh, what was it, 1176, uh, which was Wednesday, part of Wednesdays. Yes, I am feeling better. Well, that's Thank good. You. Good, good to hear. Now, by the way, uh, the Riley and Kimmy show is going to be out and about real soon. Matter of fact, just a tad over a week away, we will be in Melbourne, Florida for the pause on the Catwalk Fashion Show. <laughs> And it is a dog fashion show. You heard right. You can find more details about this on our previous episode. That is episode 1177. We talked to Teresa Clifton, the executive director of the Brevard Humane Society, about paws on the catwalk. You can find out more about this big fun event, which is happening Saturday, March 18th, in Melbourne, Florida, at the Melbourne Auditorium. Also, uh, more details available on their website, the BrevardHumaneSociety.org. Big thank you going out to the Brevard Humane Society, Teresa Clifton, for inviting the Riley and Kimmy show. We look forward to this big, fun event, don't we, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. And Tug, the superhero dog, will be there as well. That's so cool, isn't it? That is. Yes. Can't wait. Yeah, I mean, and, and our unnamed um, dog mascot will be there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the unnamed dog mascot will be there. Right. Yes, that that is coming up on Saturday, March 18th. Now... On Saturday, March 18th, it's comic book time. That's right, between 3 and 7 o'clock, 3 in the afternoon and 7 o'clock, the Riley and Kimmy Show is pleased to announce that Vieira Comics will be hosting George Lowe for a signing, a meet and greet, happening Saturday, March 18th from 3 until 7 o'clock. Stop on by, meet one of the craziest human beings you can. I don't even know if he's human. One of the craziest cats you can find on planet Earth. And that is George Lowe, right, Kimmy? Oh, you'll have a good time. Yes. He is funny. <laughs> he is outrageous. So get your pop vinyls, get your Space Ghost comic books. Uh, just bring yourself, bring some, uh, bring some, you know what, bring some individuals who like to dress up like Space Ghost. Maybe the whole, you know, Jan and Jason, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a villain or two. Whatever. Stop on by. And that is at Vieira Comics, a fantastic comic book store in Melbourne, Florida. And the host, the owner, Peter Pappas, excellent individual, fantastic, fun guy, loves cosplay. He is fun. He'll talk cosplay, comic books, and all kinds of nerd stuff with you. And I know he is extremely excited to be hosting this event with George Lowe. You heard right. The voice of Space Ghost will be at Vieira Comics mm-hmm. in Melbourne, Florida. That is Saturday, March 18th. Starting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon until 7. You get all tingly down below when you listen to the Riley and Kimmy show. 
And big thank you to George Lowe adding to his uh, jingle rotation there with a new one. Gibby was stunned. You should see the look of her face with that brand new George Lowe jingle. That's one we could actually use. Uh, he has provided some that the Riley and Kimmy show cannot use. <laughs> uh, but but thank you, George, for those. And you can catch George. And by the way, he might record. I'm pretty sure he will. Uh, he'll do uh, voice recordings for you, too, maybe for your phone and stuff like that, too. That is at Vieira Comics. And that will be on Saturday March 18th, starting at 3 o'clock. By the way, Tug the Superhero Dog will be at the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con. That's happening Sunday, March 19th at the Melbourne Auditorium. The Riley and Kimmy Show will be there with a ton of other talented people. We're not the talented ones, by the way. Other talented people, artists, and a, a zombie will be there from The Walking Dead. That is Tim Proctor. He is there, and Tug is there. And by the way, I spoke with Tug's dad, his his father, Blake Ovard, the artist of the Tug comic book, and he told me that something special will be happening at the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con we will be sharing that. We will be announcing what Tug and Tug's dad, Blake, will be doing at their table. And Tug's mom, the writer of the Tug comic book, find out what is going to be happening at Tug's table on Sunday, March 19th at the Melbourne Auditorium for the Melbourne Toy and Comic Con. Suspense. Join us next episode. 1,179 will be announcing the, the Tug thing. What's going to be going on with Tug, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Yes, Tug, the superhero dog. We'll have that announcement. We'll be revealing that. That'll be Friday's episode of the Riley and Kimmy show. You don't even know what it is, do you? No, I don't. Yes, uh, Blake and I did a little you know, secret uh, communication between ah. each other. Yes, a little top secret stuff going on. But you'll tell me later. I'm not going right? to tell you till 1,179, <sighs> Kimmy. That's the Friday episode. Be sure to tell your friends about about that. Be sure to join us for that fun event. And by the way, if you'd like to find out more about Tug, be sure to go right to our website at RileyandKimmy.com because right there we have an interview with Tug's dad. Blake Ovardy talks about Tug's. How Tug was found. It, it wasn't like a rocket coming from Krypton and landing on Earth at all. It's far, uh, far, far more touching. And what happened? And you'll find out why and how people realize that Tug is a superhero. And by the way, you may have seen Tug on Rachel Ray. He was there, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, uh, Rachel loves him. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I think I think he kissed her, too, if I remember I, right. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yes, we, we woof Tug, yes. right? So be sure to join us for next episode, 1,179, and we'll tell you what's going to be happening at the Melbourne Toy and Comic-Con with Tug. Kimmy, I have a question for you on this Thursday, March 9th. Are you able, willing, and capable of playing Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia? I think so. <laughs> If you missed our last episode, 1,176, where we deal with uh, nerd and pop culture trivia, check it out because we have some 80s music trivia on there. We had somebody that scored 99% of those, got them all except one. Find out what that tough song is. Tug's dad, he's like, boy, that one I, I did not know. Even Kimmy didn't know that one. And you can find out what that is on... Episode 1,176. It is a Thursday, March 9th. We're playing Nerdy Geek Trivia. All the questions have been, well, not 100% of them are all out of line, but a lot of them have been adjusted in, in the timeline. The timeline is not uh, running linear at all, chronological. It's adjusted a little bit to make things a little bit more fun for Kimmy. Feel free to shout out answers. Yell them. Yes, right. Uh, yell right at that, lap, that laptop, that tablet, that, that smartphone. Or desktop, whatever you might have. Feel free to yell, shout, scream. 
because we believe in time-traveling answers. You think the vortex opens up, and uh, the answer comes right out to Kimmy's ears or right into her head. Here we go. It's a Thursday, March 9th. Going right with the very first question, Kimmy, it is movie-based that we have for you. See if you can tell me uh, a little bit about this. Your question is the following. This movie went on sale in video stores across the United States for the very first time on this date within five years. Tell me the year it went on sale, but more importantly, tell me the name of the classic movie. Here's your audio clue. Where shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. All right, Kimmy, tell me the name of the movie. Gone with the Wind. That is correct. What year did Gone with the Wind go on sale for the very first time in video stores within five years? On DVD? Ooh, you're being very specific. On video cassette. Um, 1985. That is exactly right. Really? How did you get that? Did somebody shout that out to you? I must have. And you didn't, you don't own this. You never owned it, correct? Uh -uh. It was never in your household at all. Wow. You never seen it too, right? Just segments of it. Right. Wow. Very good, Kimmy. Congratulations. Now moving over to the world of cars. The very first Ford Mustang was produced on this date in history. We're going to be asking you the year, but before we do, a little rewind. Mustang, a brilliant new breed of car. Tiffany and Company, for generations a symbol of beauty and elegance. Now Tiffany, who never before honored any automobile, has honored the Ford Mustang with this gold medal award for excellence in American design. Mustang, excitingly versatile, unexpectedly practical, with a wide list of options to make it even more luxurious or give it even more sports car performance. This is Mustang, an unexpected car at an unexpected price. Only $2,368 FOB Detroit. And that includes luxury features that are available only at extra cost in many other cars. See the unexpected. The new Ford Mustang, now at your Ford dealers. That is the very first uh, commercial, actually, one of the set that they did for the Ford Mustang when it was first released, and I'm sure you caught the price tag there, Kimmy, $2,300 and some change for that brand new Mustang. Now, the question for you is, what year did the Ford Mustang make its debut? Was it 1959, 1960, 1962, or 1964? 1960. It was 1964 that the very first Ford Mustang came to be. You ever owned a Ford Mustang? Mm -mm. My very first car was a Ford Mustang, a Ford Mustang Mach 1. You're lucky to be seeing me here today because you wonder why I drive like Grandpa. Well, the Ford Mustang taught me to drive like Grandpa after some very uh, Dukes of Hazzard kind of experiences. I ended up in a lake with that car. Mm. Had to have a farmer pull me out. Yeah. Uh, Actually, crawl out the window. Had to crawl out the window. Yeah. Okay, yes. All right, moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Won't be asking you this question, Kimmy. It was 1562. Kissing in public is banned in Naples, Italy. It's punishable by death. Wow. Kissed in public. Punishable by death. Wow. On this date. I know how you feel about public displays of affection. I bet you're like, wow, that might be a good idea to to it. (laughs) I've heard you make comments before. Uh, yeah, you're like, look at those people over there. All right, it was on this date, Kimmy, the very first female cadet 
is accepted to West Point Military Academy. Was it 1906, 1926, 1946, or 1976? 1976. That's exactly right, Kimmy. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Mattel introduces Barbie at the annual toy fair in New York City. What year? Here's a chance for you to think about that. What year did Barbie make the debut? Here's a little rewind. Barbie, you're beautiful. You make me see. My Barbie doll is really Barbie's small and so petite, her clothes and figure look so neat. Her dancing outfit rings the bell, at parties she will cast a smell. Purses, hats, and gloves galore, and all the gadgets gals adore. Barbie dressed for swim and fun is only $3. Her lovely fashions range from $1 to $5. Look for Barbie wherever dolls are sold. Someday I'm gonna be exactly like you. Till then, I know just what I'll do. Barbie, beautiful Barbie. I'll make believe that I am you. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. It's interesting the voice or talent they use with that is because that is Paul Freeze, very subdued Paul Freeze doing that. Oh, I think it's kind of wow. I think it's kind of interesting they didn't use a kid or use an adult, you know, female doing that. Maybe yeah. because of the cross with the female singing there, but that is Paul Freeze did that. It's kind of kind of bizarre. He did, he could shift his voice enough and you know where it was not that easy to identify. If you're a freak like me, you know who it is. Now the question for you, Kimmy, that was the very first Barbie commercial. What year did Barbie make its debut? Um, Five-year buffer. 1955. 1959. You got it within five there. Barbie. Did you have any of those classic-looking, like, late 50, early 60 Barbies at all? You had the ones like I kind of know what they are, right? Okay. 1796. Napoleon gets married to whom? Just give me her first name, Kimmy. Josephine. That is correct. They were married. They were eventually divorced in 1809. It's on this date, 1832, asking you a question about your homeland. Abraham Lincoln announces that he would run for political office for the very first time. Question is, did he win or did he lose? He lost. That's right. He was unsuccessful in his run for a seat in the Illinois State Legislature. 1842, the first documented discovery of gold in California occurs in Rancho San Francisco, six years before the California gold rush, that big uh, thing in 49, you know. That's why the San Francisco 49ers have a mm. thing. 1859, the National Association of Baseball Players adopted the rule that limited the size of bats to no more than two and a half inches in diameter. I guess you could show up like a caveman before that hmm. with a big, big bat. <laughs> All right. It was on this date in 1961. This group released their first single. Kimmy, see if you can identify who it is. The single's called I Want a Guy.
I doubt you've ever heard it before. It's I Want a Guy. Not aware of too many oldie stations that even uh, kept it alive or even played it much. Can you tell me who that is? They would be very big in about four years' time span. Uh, Supremes? Is that a question mark or is that a... That's a question mark. It is the Supremes. That's 1961. That is their first single. Mm. Did, was it the title that made you know that or the actual sound? The sound. Okay. It was on this date in history. Kimmy, the year is 1969. This TV show is canceled. <laughs> See if you can identify and tell me what the name of the TV show. Here's their theme. <laughs> Can you identify that TV show that was canceled on this date in history in 1969? The Smothers Brothers? How on earth did you know that? I don't know. All right, it was canceled. What network aired? You got a choice of three. That was it back then. Who had the Smothers Brothers? CBS. That's exactly right. CBS said, you're gone. You're out of here. Take your hippie show off the air. Go. Get out. Get off our stage. It was on this date in history, 1975. Elvis began his final recording session at RCA's Hollywood Studios. On this date, Kimmy, U2 releases the album The Joshua Tree. You tell me the year within two, Joshua Tree is released. Mm. That would be 1986. You're close. You 85? Get it. You got it within two. It was 1987 that that was released. The Joshua Tree, you too. Do you have that in your vinyl collection, CD collection, MP3? Yes. All right. Final? Yes. Really? All right. Moving over to notable birthdays. This actor, Kimmy, born on this date in history, really known for a TV show from the 1970s. See if you can identify the TV show this actor is known for. Here is your clue. And please, tell us the answer the minute you know it so we don't have to listen to this. Little House on the Prairie. No. Oh. Wrong network. The Waltons? Thank goodness. Yes, that is the name of the TV show. Tell me the network that that aired on, Kimmy. NBC? Uh, no, that's Little House's network. I said wrong oh, network. Uh, it was, CBS. Uh, yeah, it was a CBS show. This guy, I want to ask you the name or anything like that. He played Grandpa. That's Will Gear, born on this date in 1902, died 1978 at the age of 76. He played Grandpa Zeb 
Walton. You probably remember him, right? In the 1970s TV show, The Waltons. Mm -hmm. Now, when he died, shortly after completing the sixth season, they actually referred to it and wrote the death of the character into the show's scripts as well. Now, his final episode, the last episode, is from the season of 1977 to 1978. You can catch him in a lot of things uh, like Night Gallery. He's in an episode of that. Mm-hmm. And and other things. He was banned for a period of time uh, from Hollywood. It was part of the blacklist stuff. So if, if you take a look at his filmography, it is, I mean, it's intense. He had a huge amount of work that he did, even though he was banned for a period of time. He lost a time period that he could work. It'd be, I'd be kind of curious what he would have been if he had not been blacklisted for a period mm. of time. It was on this date, Mickey Spillane was born. Can you tell me what profession he is known for? That's Mickey Spillane. Can be born 1918, died 2006 at the age of 88. Actor? No, well, I, I can't you get away with that because he did act tiny amount. He was an American crime novelist. He wrote Mike Hammer. That's what he created was Mike Hammer, and he actually played the role at one time of Mike Hammer. More than 225 million copies of his books have been sold internationally. Splane was also an occasional actor, and he played the role at one time. Joyce Van Patten, actor born on this date. She's 83. She's an American stage film and television actress. She has appeared in dozens, I mean the list goes on, of TV shows, and she was a member of the original cast of As the World Churns. Marty Ingalls, born on this date, 1936, died at the age of 79 in 2015. American actor, comedian, comedy sketch writer. He was married to Shirley Jones. That was her husband after you-know-who. Who? Who? Jack Cassidy. Jack Cassidy. (laughs) Yes. And one of the things Marty is known for in the world of animation, he was the voice of Pac-Man on the Pac-Man cartoon in 1982. Well, I hope this isn't going to be another one of those picnics. I'm going to play a little frisbee with Chomp Chomp. Okay, Chomp Chomp. Catch. No, Chomp Chomp. Uh-uh. All right, Chomp Chomp. This time, don't eat it. Fetch it. Yeah, that's, uh, Kimmy, well, that reaction on your face was priceless. That's Marty Ingalls there, who was born on this date in history. Mickey Gilly, born on this date. He is 81, American country music singer and musician. Can you tell me who this actor is, Kimmy? Born on this date, 1940, died very young, died at the age of 54, 1994, in 1991, and in 1993, he portrayed Gomez Adams, in the film adaptations of the Adams Family, who is it? That would be. Um... Those are the movies with Christina Ricci. I don't know. Raul Julia, remember him? Yeah. Yes, he was born on this date, 1940. This musician, singer, born on this date, Mark Lindsay. He had some success solo-wise. He is 75, but he is known as being the singer for Paul Revere and the Raiders. Cherokee people, Cherokee tribe, so proud to live, so proud to die. That was their only number one hit. That was Paul Revere and the Raiders with Cherokee Nation. And by the way, uh, lead singer Mark Lindsay, who's having a birthday today, is part Cherokee. And that was a cover version, actually. That song had been recorded twice before, but that's the first time it actually made it, was with Paul Revere and the Raiders. It was on this date that Bobby Fischer was born, 1943. Can you tell me what Bobby Fischer is known for, Kimmy? 
Uh, he's a chess player. He was a chess player. He was an American world chess champion, 1972 to 1975. In 1975, he was stripped of the world chess title because he refused to defend it. He would not do that. Matter of fact, an episode of Columbo kind of ties into that just a little bit. You can see how chess had become uh, at least acknowledged in the world of pop culture. And that's about that time period, about 1975, that the Columbo episode has that. And Bobby Fischer, born in Chicago, he died in 2008 at the age of 64. Next person, a musician, singer, songwriter. Tell me who this person is. Here's one of their hits. Kimmy, identify who the person is and how old they are today. I have a feeling Kimmy danced to that song at least one or two times. Can you tell me who the performer is? Who the the person who sang that? Jeffrey Osborne. Ooh, I didn't have to go to a bonus clue there. That is exactly right, Jeffrey Osborne. Stay with me tonight. What year, Kimmy, within two? What year? That song. That song? Yes, within two. It was not a big top 40 hit. It was a big R&B dance hit. 84? It was 1983. It peaked at number 30 only on the the top 100. Mm. But that is pop charts, but it did very well, far more than that on the R&B dance charts. How old is Jeffrey Osborne today? Within five. 56. He is 69 today, Kimmy. Next person, having a birthday. He was a star of a TV show. I'll tell you this much. It was back in the 80s that the show was on. See if you can identify the show that this person was star on and... I mean, he, he's a star, so maybe you can tell me, you know, who it is that played the title character of the show. Here is the audio clue. The show is not called Then Came You. I guarantee you that, even though that's referred to quite a bit in the lyrics. Can you tell me the name of the TV show was a hit in the 80s? Nope. You cannot do that. The show is nope. the, the show is Webster, and he played the title character. Can you tell me the name of the person who played Webster? No. That's Emmanuel Lewis. Remember him? Uh-huh. Okay, how old is Emmanuel Lewis today? Um, 50? Manuel Lewis is 46 today, and by the way, in 1984, he was nominated for Best Young Actor in a Comedy Series for Webster, but he lost out to somebody else, the child star of Silver Spoons. Can you tell me who that was? Ricky Schroeder. Yeah, Ricky Schroeder. He beat Webster. Mm. Okay, wrapping up our trivia, we go to another section of the trivia list. I see dead people. 
Notable deaths on this date in history. Kimmy, this person, an American comedian, actor, singer, and writer. He was one of the few entertainers whose career successfully spanned vaudeville, radio, film, and television. He and his wife, Gracie Allen, appeared on radio, television, and film together. Who is it? George Burns. That's right. George Burns passed away on this date in history. Kimmy, tell me what year within five that we lost George Burns. Um, 98. It was 1996. Now the big question for you, within five years of age, how old was he when he passed on? 102. He was 100 years old when he passed, and he worked clear up, I mean right up to his end he continued to perform, and by the way, when he was in his 70s, he was basically rediscovered by people worldwide because of film roles. The Sunshine Boys brought him back, and then it was Oh God and things like that. So he 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 went for a long period of time in the world of entertainment. That wraps up our entire trivia. Kimmy did a fantastic job. Thanks for helping her out, and I think we'll honor something from trivia with the Golden Age of Radio. radio Kimmy show. Anytime we have an opportunity to go back in time, we take that opportunity. And we're going to do that right now with George Burns in honor of his passing and, and actually a reflection in honor of his life. Now, we're not going to a George Burns and Gracie Allen show per se, not the Burns and Allen show. It's a fantastic radio show, by the way, a great example of the golden age of radio. But we have the two of them acting together from something from the 40s that they did. And it's called are husbands necessary? The two of them together. It's fantastic. And here is an example of the golden age of radio at one of its finest. Let's go back in time. Here's George Burns and Gracie Allen on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Radio Theater brings you George Burns and Gracie Allen in Our Husbands Necessary. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. One cold winter's night 12 years ago, an unsuspecting nation turned on the radio and discovered George Burns and Gracie Allen. The microphone hasn't been the same since. Naturally, we are all a bit nervous in the Lux Radio Theater tonight. But you understand that if anything unusual happens, it's due to uh, circumstances entirely beyond our control. This week, we followed George and Gracie from their usual Tuesday night habitat to appear in a full-length play. What they'll do to it, no one can predict. But though the setting is different, it's the same George and Gracie you've always known and loved who star in the paramount comedy success, Our Husbands Necessary. In the play, George works in a bank, and Gracie considers it her duty as a wife to help his career along, as if bankers didn't have enough trouble on their hands already. Now we'll turn the microphone over to the tender mercies of George Burns and Gracie Allen, as the curtain rises for the first act of Our Husbands Necessary, starring George as Jim Cougat and Gracie as Jane Cougat. Mr. and Mrs. Cougat are normal, everyday man and wife. 
Well, Mr. Cougat is normal. His wife is either above or below. It's hard to tell. On the normal, everyday morning, Jim Cougat jumps out of bed at eight sharp, rushes through his shaving, rushes through his breakfast, rushes upstairs to kiss his wife goodbye. This being a normal, everyday morning, Jim Cougat is rushing. Oh, Janie, I'm leaving, Janie. Oh, good morning, Jim, dear. Are you ready for me to pick out your necktie? Oh, never mind, sweetheart. I've, I've, uh, I've already got one on. Oh, well, let me see the one you picked out. I knew you needed me. Take it off there. What's wrong with it? Well, it's red, and you should never wear red with green. They clash. Janie, I've got on a white shirt and a blue shirt suit. I'm not wearing anything green. Oh, yes, you are. I laid out your shorts myself. <laughs> oh, those. Well, thanks for saving me from a terrible social blunder. You're welcome, dear. My goodness, I hate to think what you look like after Junior arrives. I won't have much time for you then. Yeah, I'll probably put on a hat that doesn't match my suspenders. And everybody will laugh at me. Ah, but it'll be worth it. We'll have a little boy of our very own. Uh, do you still think you'd rather adopt one? Yes, Jim. I suppose I should be ashamed of myself. I suppose I'm just weak, but I couldn't stand to see you suffer. <laughs> well... Maybe I wouldn't suffer so much. Well, all fathers do, especially the first time. The husband of a friend of mine almost lost his mind. Really? Yes, he was afraid he wouldn't be there to call a doctor. So for days he just sat by the telephone and ate nothing but a few radishes and a small chunk out of the mouthpiece. I guess it's pretty hard on a man. My friend finally told him to call the doctor, and he did. But when the doctor got there, he couldn't do a thing for her. He couldn't? No, he was a veterinary. Well, goodbye, Janie. I, you know, I... I couldn't take a chance in making a nervous wreck out of you. You've got to be at your very best when Mr. Atterbury makes you the new vice president of the bank. Well, don't count on that job too much, Jane. Chuck, you know, Chuck Rayleigh is being considered, too. But you're the smartest, cleverest, most brilliant man in town. Oh, now, wait a minute. Oh, it's true, Jim. I tell that to everybody when they ask me what I ever saw in you. <laughs> Well, that's nice. You, you just lack confidence, that's all. You know, if you go right into the president's office and say, Mr. Atterbury, I... Oh, wait. I've got a wonderful idea. What? I'll go to Mr. Atterbury and tell him you're the only man for the job. I'll make him listen. Oh, no, you won't. Well, why not? You know how clever I am. That's exactly what I mean. You stay away from Atterbury. Don't ever let me catch you talking to him. All right, dear. But if I had the chance, I still think I... Bless you. I still think I could wrap Mr. Atterbury... Jim, did you sneeze? Yes. Oh, you poor darling. Don't get excited. I've sneezed before. Jim, you better not go to the bank today. You may be dangerously ill. Oh, stop being so... Oh, I mean it. Tell me the truth, dear. When you first set up this morning, did the floor feel cold to your bare feet? Oh, yes. I knew it. And when you took a hot shower, did the water feel warm? Oh, yes, but... You see, you've got all the symptoms. Symptoms of what? Oh, well, they could develop into anything. Stick out your tongue, dear. Ah. Oh, my goodness. You've got a temperature of 104. You can tell that from my tongue? Oh, sure. All you do with a thermometer is put it in your mouth, and your tongue is already in your mouth. But I don't feel... You get your clothes off and get back to bed, Jim. I'll bring you some medicine. Oh, Millicent. Oh, Millicent. Yes, yeah, sir. Here I am. Where do we keep our medicine, Millie? Well, I'll put it in the medicine cabinet, ma'am. Oh, what a clever idea. Before you came, I just put it any old place. 
Well, come along into the bathroom and help me pick out some medicine for Mr. Kugat. What ails Mr. Kugat, ma'am? Nothing. He's perfectly healthy. What health? The folks don't need no medicine. I'll tell you a little secret, Millie. Yeah. I want him to think he's sick so I can run down to the bank and have a talk with his boss. <laughs> you show him a caution. <laughs> <laughs> well, open the cabinet and let's see what we have. Yeah. As long as he's not sick, I'd rather give him something that tastes nice. Well, the pink stuff in that big bottle is mighty sweet and soothing. I took some and I had a misery in my tooth. All right, I'll try it. Mmm, the label is full of things with funny Latin names. But I don't suppose they could hurt him. After all, it says 97% alcohol. <laughs> that, that only leaves 3% Latin. Now, don't you breathe a word of this, Millie. Oh, I won't, man. Well, here's your medicine, Jim. How are you feeling now? Gee, it's the darndest thing. I felt swell when I got up. And now I'm starting to ache all over. Oh, naturally. But I think we caught it in time. Now, keep covered up, Jim. You can't afford to have a cold when we adopt Junior. It might be hereditary. Oh, sure. Well, I've got some errands to go do downtown, so I'll go along. I won't be long. Jane, wait a minute. Yes? Remember what I said. Don't go near Mr. Atterbury. Jim, you don't trust me. <laughs> Very brave, Miss Atterbury. He wanted to come to work, but I forced him to stay in bed. Oh, poor boy. Well, tell him he needn't worry, Jane. Tell him to take a week off, or even a month off. Uh, without pay, of course. Without pay? Yes, money isn't everything. Oh, I'm afraid we couldn't afford that, Miss Atterbury. Not with Junior on the way. Junior? You mean a baby? When do you expect it? Oh, whenever it's convenient. When, it, when it's convenient? That's right. Naturally, I'll wait until after Dollar Day. Well, I'll be. Oh, as a matter of fact, I'll probably adopt him the day after the sale. Oh, adopt him? You had me worried for a minute. Ah, Jim's a little worried, too. He thinks he doesn't make enough to support Junior until Junior's old enough to support him. Well, I, I told him you'd fix that and make him the new vice president. You will, won't you? Well, frankly, at the moment, Chuck Rayleigh is very much in the running. Oh. You see, Chuck made a shrewd move recently. He bought a piece of property in which an out-of-town financier, Mr. O'Toole, is interested. It was a factory site. The consummation of the deal will bring an important account to this bank. Oh, he may be shrewd, but I don't like that Chuck Rayleigh. He never dances when they play a rumba at the club. He just stands behind some girl and watches. <laughs> I don't want you to feel that Jim has no chance, Jane. My final decision is yet to be made and will naturally be a fair, square, and honest one. Oh, thank you, Miss Atterbury, and I'm sure Jim will make a wonderful vice president. Oh, home again, dear. How is my precious patient feeling now? Not so bad. I guess I was pretty sick. But I'm the type that fights back. Oh, you're sweet. Where have you been? Oh, uh, oh, I've been fine. I guess your disease isn't contagious. No, no, no. I said, where have you been? Oh, where? Uh-huh. Well, um, I've been, um, to the market. Are you asking me or telling me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm telling you. I, I went to the market to get you a big, thick T-bone steak. Jane. But all I could find was a, a big, thick fish. I, I, I don't know if it had a T-bone, but it had lots of other bones. Jane, so I decided... Jane, are you sure you went to the market? <laughs> have you been taking your medicine, dear? Yes. Are you sure that you... Did How much stop? have you taken? Three spoons. Oh, well, that's you... not nearly enough. I'll pour you a big glass for you. Well, I don't think I'd better, Jane. That stuff seems to make me kind of dizzy. Here, drink it down. Oh, all right. 
It's awful. Now, what were we talking about? Oh, nothing important. Any mail this morning, dear? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. I got a notice that another installment is due on those silly lots you bought last year. Of all the idiotic things you've ever done... How about another glass of medicine, dear? No. Of all the idiotic things you've ever done, buying those lots was the worst. Sixteen of them. Right on top of a swamp that was filled in in 1888. Here's your medicine, dear. Oh, all right. Hmm. Uh, now, how did you ever let... Say, <laughs> that's the darndest stuff. How did you ever let that crooked real estate dealer rope you in? Well, I wanted a place to build a home of our own, Jim. And that development had such a lovely name. Peekaboo Acres. Hmm. Fine thing to call a swamp. Honestly, Jane, there are times... <laughs> Say, that medicine is beginning to hit the spot. I've got sort of a warm, healthy glow. Hmm, my dear? Sure, fill her up. <laughs> Stuff's a regular tonic. Must have the prescription renewed. Well, here goes. Oh, well, I'm sorry you're so mad about the lawsuit. Oh, never mind, sweetheart. Just forget the whole thing. Uh-huh. You're such a nice husband, Jim. But I'm so stupid. You're nothing of the kind. You're the best little world and wife. <laughs> what did you say? I said you're the best little world and a wife. What's the matter? Can't you understand this? No, don't you mean understand English? That's politely sice I said. Jim, are you getting a fever? An honest to goodness fever? Oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Never felt better. Never felt better and better and better. Well, you certainly act sort of... Oh, dear. Uh, Millie, will you answer the door? Jimmy, you sure you're all right? Absolutely. And I owe all the level of medicine. Announcing Mr. Waldo J. Atterbury. Mr. Atterbury? Well, hello, Jane. I just dropped in to cheer up the patient. Oh, I see he's no longer confined to his bed. Hi, Atterbury, old man. Pull up a chair and rest your surplus. <laughs> well, I must say, Jim, that you scarcely sound like a man whose health is impaired. Who said it was? There's nothing wrong with my health, Mr. Attitude, and I resent your Atterbury. <laughs> Yes, I do see. I've been harboring a drunken viper in the bosom of the Fidelity Bank and Trust Company. But if you'd only... I've heard enough. Sick, huh? Bah! Wants to be vice president, eh? Bah! Atterbury, if all you can do is burp, I don't want you around. (laughs) I'm leaving at once. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, Jim, this is dreadful. What a terrible thing. Yeah, pretty bad. Poor old Atterbury. Tired as an I'm afraid you better spell it. M O T H E R. Oh, mother! Oh, how are you, darling? That's good. No, no, Jim and I won't be able to have dinner with you tonight. So we're going to a dance at the country club. Yeah, Jim is kind of upset, and it'll take his mind off things. No, no, nothing serious. He took some medicine with a lot of alcohol in it, and it made him tipsy. Imagine alcohol doing that. I always thought whiskey did it. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury saw him got awfully mad, but I called him up on the phone later and straightened everything out. Honestly, I don't know what Jim would do without me. Thanks.
Thanks for the dance, sweetheart. Let's go out on the terrace and find our table. All right. Well, good evening, Jim. And how is my unworthy opponent this evening? Now, see here, Chuck Rayleigh. Shove off, Chuck. You're not wanted. Well, those are harsh words, my boy, especially from one of the hired help who will soon be taking orders from me. You're celebrating a little too soon, Chuck. Really? Hmm. Don't forget, I own the land that means a big account for old W.J. That makes me the fair-haired boy. Oh, ignore him, Jim. He may think he has influence, but so did Mussolini's son-in-law. Hmm. <laughs> you said it. Well, have your laugh now, Jim. I'll have mine when you're looking stamps to put on the vice president's mail. Listen, you conceited bag of words. Oh, it's Jimsy. Oh, my sweet old Jimsy Wimsy Boo Jim. Huh? What? It's me, Myra. Don't tell me you've forgotten little Myra. Well, I... I'll bet one of my special kisses will take that blank look off your face. Hey, 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 wait a minute. There. Remember me now? Someone you know, dear? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's Myra. From my hometown. Went to school together. Myra Rutledge. Yes, I'm spending a week with some friends here. Oh, gosh, what a dull town. But it won't be now that I've met my sweet old Boojum. That's what makes you so sure. Your sweet old Boojum. Who's she, Jimsy? My wife. Oh. <laughs> well, that's Myra, always putting her foot in it. Hmm. Who's your handsome boyfriend? That's Mr. Rayleigh, Chuck Rayleigh. Why don't you and Why don't you and Myra have a dance, Chuck, old man? Sure, let's go inside, beautiful, and be the handsomest couple on the floor. In a minute, Chucky. Jimsy and I want to talk over old times, don't we, you old boojum? Well, I. So I... you're actually a married man? Well, gee, am I surprised? <laughs> What's so surprising about it? <laughs> well, he used to be so bashful. Doors, he's had his moment. Hey, Myra, why don't you and Chuck have that dance now? All right. <laughs> but I'll be back, you old boojum. <laughs> Come along, Chucky. Okay, beautiful. Oh, boy. What a relief. Your friend Myra is very lovely, Jim. Such big eyes. The circles to match. <laughs> that man-crazy female is no friend of mine. I never could stand her. Don't you believe me? No, I don't, you old boojum. <laughs> Please, please don't cry. There's nothing to well, cry about. If she's what you want, you can have her. I won't stand in your way. She's not what I want. Well, don't try to spare me, Jim. See, you don't need me now that the old flame has been rekindled. You can't burn your candle at both ends. <laughs> Sweetheart, if you'll only listen. Well, back again, Jimsy. Oh, yeah, so soon. Yes. I was telling Chucky about that tricky little step we used to do, and he wants to see it. Yeah. yeah look, Myra, I'm kind of tired. Oh, go, Jim, dance with her. But, sweetheart, oh, I... Oh, dance with her, Jim. Dance the night away. I'll just sit here with my memory. Oh. <laughs> now, you see, your wife says it's all right. Okay, okay, but you don't have to yank my arm off. Jealous, Janie? No, no, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters now. You sound pretty low. How about a drink to drown your sorrow? A drink? A drink? Yes, I'll have one. I'll show him that I don't care. Order me a a cherry phosphate. Jane, may I have the pleasure of this dance if your husband... Oh, it's Chuck. Where is Jim? Oh, he's gone, Miss Atterbury. Gone like rats that pass the sinking ship in the night. What? She means he's inside cutting up papers with an old girlfriend. Oh, he is, huh? Yes, Mr. Atterbury, but you mustn't blame him. He 
just wait. There, there, my child. He's not worth your tears. Oh, sweetheart, I finally ditched Myra. Oh, hello, W.J. Don't speak to me, you scoundrel. Huh? Shame on you for bringing grief to this brave little woman. You'll never be our vice president, Cougat. A philanderer will never be an officer of the Fidelity Bank and Trust Company. Philanderer? <laughs> Too bad, old man. Of course, you never were much competition. Well, you keep out of this unless you want a punch in the nose. Now, see here, Oh, Jane. tough guy, huh? Yeah, tough enough to slap you down. <laughs> All right, Rayleigh. You've been asking for this a long time, and now you're going to get it. Oh. Oh. Jim Kugat, you should be ashamed of yourself. Now, get up off that floor and let's go home. <laughs> for Act Two of Our Husband's Necessary. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Act Two of Our Husband's Necessary, starring George Burns as Jim and Gracie Allen as Jane. (laughs) Having been knocked cold by Chuck Raley, his rival for the vice presidency of the bank, Jim is at home the following morning, nursing a black eye and an overtired temper. Consoling him is the cause of all his woes. Is that piece of steak helping your eye, darling? I guess so. I never could have gotten it, but I told the butcher we needed it for medicinal purposes. Mm. Darn that Chuck Rayleigh, anyhow. Are you going to pick another fight for them, Jim? Why? Well, if you are, I I wish you'd pick a Thursday. We're having company and another piece of steak to come in handy. (laughs) That's right. Joke about it. Fine mess you got me in. I'm ashamed to go to the bank. Everyone will laugh at me for letting a cream puff like Chuck Rayleigh give me a black oh, eye. Oh, don't worry, dear. They'll never know the truth. I've already fixed an alibi for you. You have? Uh-huh. I told everybody at the bank that I did it. <laughs> Look, honey, will you please stop trying to fix things for me? But Jim, a wife is supposed to help her husband. My mother told me that the day I married you. I thought your mother didn't like me. Oh. Oh, you just got that impression because she won't speak to you. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I got that impression. Mother said to me, she said, Jane always helps Jim. If he has to struggle for a living, help him. If the brakes go against him and he has troubles, help him. And if he gets so discouraged he wants to jump off the bridge, help, help him. him. I know you're not. <laughs> Jane, will you please stay out of my business? Look what you've done to me. All my money is sunk in swampland. I've got a black eye. I'm in bed with the boss. I've lost the vice presidency of the bank. I'm the laughing stock of my friends, all because of your meddling. Oh, Jim, I believe you're a little annoyed with me. Well, I certainly am. Oh, bet you're sorry you married me. I certainly am. Bet you wish you'd married Myra Rutledge instead of me. I certainly do. Oh, Jim. Oh, now, honey, I lost my temper. I didn't mean it. You hate me. You want me to go back to my mother. Oh, no, I don't. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I mean... Millie, bring Mrs. Cougat a cup of tea. Well, Betty goes right out and marries Myra Rutledge. Well, if he goes, I'll leave him. <laughs> My goodness, Miss Cougat, you look like you lost your last friend. What's the matter? Oh, Mr. Cougat is mad at me. He says I interfere with his work and cause him trouble. You do seem to have a knack for lousing that man up. <laughs> now, if you don't mind my saying so, ma'am, the quicker you adopt that baby, the better. Do you think so, Millie? Oh, yes, sir. You know, there ain't nothing like a little baby to female at home. 
while my husband was fixing to throw me out, and then my first baby came. Uh, and that stopped him? Oh, yes, and I had nine more before he finally threw me out. <laughs> Jim would like that many. Mm. Although, come to think of it, there were 12 children in his family, six sets of twins. None but twins? Uh huh. Jim's father made bookends for a living and it affected his whole life. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, well, now, if I was you, ma'am, I'd get right over to that hole where they have the babies and pick me out a little bundle of sunshine. Oh, all right, Millie. I'll, I'll go right away. And I hope you're right about that description. The last time I held a baby on my lap, it wasn't exactly sunshine. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Hugat, but there's a waiting period of six months between the time you apply for a baby and the time we can let you have one. Oh, dear, six months. Couldn't we cut that down just a teeny little bit? Possibly. When would you want the child? Today. <laughs> I'm afraid that's impossible. You see, we have to make a complete and thorough investigation of both you and your husband. Oh, oh well, I can tell you everything you want to know. And let's start with Jim. He's honest, dependable, uh, brown hair, he, he doesn't drink, he smokes a little, but he doesn't inhale, and he dances divinely, and, uh, oh, soon, he's very cuddly. <laughs> that is not exactly the type of information we need. Our questions concern your husband's character, his position, his finances. Is he financially able to care for a child? Oh, my goodness, yes. Jim does very well. He earns money almost as fast as I can spend it. <laughs> I see. What does your husband do? He's a banker. Oh. Yes, he's practically the president. They couldn't get along without him. I see. Well, we can confirm that by telephoning the bank. Oh, don't now. call the bank and ask about Jim. Why not? They think he's a dope. <laughs> I am becoming more and more convinced that a complete investigation is necessary in this case. However, as long as you're here, we might as well fill out the questionnaire. Which would you prefer to adopt? A girl baby or a boy baby? Oh, a boy. I thought it would be nice if I could find one that resembles my husband. Wives frequently make that request. Could you uh, describe your husband? Oh, better than that. Uh, here's a picture of Jim. Hmm. If I were you, I believe I'd abandon the idea. <laughs> Don't you have any babies right now that look like him? To my knowledge, we never have had one. Oh. Well, maybe one will show up. Uh, maybe you just missed it. Possibly. I've only been here 30 years. <laughs> Let's get on with the questions. Have you uh, got a yard for the child to play in? Well, it's... Uh, it's... Oh, yes, yes. I've got a real playground for the baby. You have? Yes, it's a piece of property I bought. It's just a place for the baby to play. There are no houses, no people, no traffic. Really? Yes, it's a swamp. <laughs> Mrs. Cooper, I don't believe we need go further with the questionnaire. I am convinced that you are not the type of person with whom I could entrust the baby. Oh, but I'm wonderful with babies. Honestly, I am. I know how long to boil a bassinet and how to fold his little three-cornered formulas. I know all I those... am sorry, but the matter is closed. We cannot consider your adopting one of our babies. Oh, dear. Well, I have to get in good with Jim some way. I either have to get a baby or make him a vice president. I suggest you try the vice presidency. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, I'm not asking for the moon. Jane, you're a brave little woman to stand up for that man after the way he's treated you, but I cannot entrust a vice presidency to that... that wolf. 
fun. Jim isn't a wolf. Not much. I watched him dancing with that Rutledge woman last night. I saw how tight he held her. Oh, well, that wasn't Jim's fault. He has to hold on when they play a fast number. <laughs> there you go, protecting him again. You better tell Jim to forget the prior vice presidency, Jane. I'm sorry, but Chuck Rayleigh is the man for the job. Oh, Chuck Rayleigh. He's nothing but a big bully. Hitting my poor Jimmy in the eye. Jim's as big as he is. Why didn't he hit him back? Because Jim happens to be a gentleman and a very poor fighter. (laughs) Well, you tell Jim that he's lucky to have a job in this bank at all. Chuck Rayleigh had the foresight to buy up the very best factory location in town. And once that factory is built, we get the O'Toole account. That's why I'm making Rayleigh the vice president. Well, that certainly doesn't sound fair. That's one of the first laws of business, Jane. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Yes, we'll probably cinch the whole deal at the party I'm giving for Mr. O'Toole this weekend. Oh, a party. Oh, that's wonderful. Jim is a scream at parties. He rolls his pants up so his goddess show, and then he sings the last time I saw Paris. <laughs> oh, he's wonderful. Yes, I'm sure it's very hilarious, but Jim won't be there. Oh, yes, he will. I'll bring him myself. I'm sorry, Jane, but Jim is not invited. I can't risk having him mess up this deal with O'Toole. But Mr. Atterbury... I'd be glad to invite Jim to a party if he ever brings me a big account like Chuck did. Remember what I said about business, Jane. <laughs> you scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. <laughs> This is wonderful. Yes. Are you sure Mr. Atterbury insisted on my coming to the party? Oh, he was very definite about you, Jim. Well, I'll be done. Maybe I'll get that vice presidency yet. Um, uh, Jim. Yes? Why don't you ever scratch Mr. Atterbury's back? <laughs> huh? Well, that's the only way you're going to get it. What, what are you talking about? Oh, that's one of the big laws of business. You scratch Mr. Atterbury's back and you'll scratch mine. <laughs> Janie, uh, are you feeling all right? Oh, never mind, Jim. Oh, stop, stop. You almost passed Miss Atterbury's house. Boy, what a mansion. That's the kind of place we're going to have when I'm running the bank. Come on, Janie. Uh-uh, here comes Chuck Rayleigh. Oh, quick, Jim, put on your glasses. I'm not afraid of him. Gee, where are they? <laughs> well, hiya, Cougat. How's the eye? Oh, hello, Jane. Mighty sporting of you folks to come and see me get the vice presidency. You haven't got it yet. Are you kidding? O'Toole is drooling for my property to build his factory on. Very well, give me the bank and throw in his house, his stocks, and probably his wife. In fact, everything but his new Austin. He thinks more of that than he does his wife. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Oh, yeah? Show me a wife that gets 57 miles to the gallon. <laughs> oh. Come on, Jane. Let's go in the house. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, here comes Mr. Atterbury. Oh, now, Mr. O'Toole. Hello, Mr. O'Toole. Hello, Mr. Atterbury. Hello, W.J. What? Why, Cougar, what are you doing here? Huh? What? Oh, well, well, here we are, Mr. Atterbury. Better late than never. I differ with you. Well, Atterbury, are you going to introduce me? Hmm? Oh, oh, yes. Of course, Mr. O'Toole. Oh, this Mr. Is, O'Toole, uh... is it? Have faith, and I've heard what a great businessman you are, Mr. O'Toole. But no one was after telling me you were such a handsome devil. Well, I haven't heard a broke like that in years. <clears throat> you know, Colleen, I was feeling this would be a dull party. But the likes of you could brighten away with your violent smile and your eyes as blue as the lakes of Killarney. Hush, stop with your blarney now. Sure, and it's me you've got blushing in front of James, whom I'm hoping you'll use your influence to make vice president of Mr. Atterbury's bank. Hmm? Uh, about my Austin. About my Austin, O'Toole. Fifty-seven miles to the gallon. I wouldn't sell her for five thousand. Yes, 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 uh, I know. Uh, Carly. 
Who did you say you were after wanting to be vice president of the bank? Uh, Mr. James O'Cougat. O'Cougat? I've got an idea, O'Toole. Hop in and I'll take you for a ride in my new Austin. Fifty-seven miles to the gallon. I wouldn't sell it for $5,000. No, sir, I wouldn't... We're out of our way. Dinner is served. Oh. Come along in the house, Mr. O'Toole. We mustn't let dinner get cold. Uh, Jane, don't you think you overdid that a little bit? Telling him my name was O'Cougat? It's the law of business, Jim. Chuck Rayley may be scratching Mr. Atterbury's back, but I'm scratching Mr. O'Toole's back with a shamrock. <laughs> you enjoy your dinner, Mr. O'Toole? Oh, fine, fine. But I'd have enjoyed it more if you were seated me next to that little Irish girl. I think she wanted to talk to me. Uh, well, you see, I thought we could discuss a little business, Mr. O'Toole. Oh, oh, oh here she comes. Well, 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 Carly. Oh, Mr. O'Toole. Sure, we got separated in such a hurry, I didn't even get a chance to introduce myself. I'm Jane O'Cougat, and this is the man I mentioned, Mr. O'Cougat. How do you do? Mr. O'Cougat, it's a pleasure to shake your hand, sir. Thanks. Oh, it is a mighty pretty daughter you have here. <laughs> oh, Jim is my husband. He's the man I want you to use your influence to make the vice uh, president. A toast, ladies and gentlemen. I propose a toast to that brilliant young man whose foresight provided the property Mr. O'Toole needs for his factory. The next vice president of the bank, Chuck Rayleigh. <laughs> Well, I don't care. I-, I think my husband ought to be vice president. Chuck Raley has pulled the wool over your eyes long enough. Now, I- now, why don't you give Jim a chance? Oh, fine. <laughs> Another toast, ladies and gentlemen. A toast to Mr. Terence O'Toole, a great man, a self-made man. <laughs> come, come, Mr. Hatterberry. There's nothing so great about being a self-made man. I never mentioned the fact that when I was a lad... Every morning of my life, I had to crack ice in a pitcher to wash myself and then trudge six miles through the freezing snow to school. I never mentioned that. That's nice, never mentioning. <laughs> Nevertheless, I say you are a great man. And I say great, ladies and gentlemen, because, believe it or not, Mr. O'Toole never got past the eighth grade in school. Jim is even greater. He never got past the fifth grade. <laughs> oh, come on, Jane. We're getting out of here right now. Oh, goodbye, everybody. Nice party. Well, Jane, this time you really fixed me good. Oh, thanks, Jim. I thought I handled it very well. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. Let's go home. Oh, wait, Jim. Just for a minute. I want to see what it's like to be the wife of a bank president. And how can you do that? Well, I'll sit in Mr. Atterbury's Austin and make believe I'm driving to the Ritz. You know, to have lunch with some other bank president's wife, like Mrs. First National or Mrs. Farmer's Trust. Oh, yes. Mrs. Piggy will be there, too. Her husband owns all the piggy banks. Oh, Jim. Jane, don't touch that Austin. You know how much Atterbury thinks of it. Well, I won't hurt it, dear. Oh, look at all these cute little gadgets. Now, Jane, come out of that car. Hey, don't touch that thing. Oh, look, Jim. Jane, that's the starter. You're... Jamie, you're moving. I know, and so is the car. Jamie, stop. Stop the car. Oh, there are too many gadgets. Jamie, look out. You're headed for a tree. Oh, Jimmy. Nothing's damaged. Are you all right? Are you hurt? Oh, sure, I'm all right. Of all places to have a tree, right in the middle of the yard. Oh, oh. what's the matter here? What happened? What? Oh, my Austin. Well, you see, it was. It, it, I was. There's. There's been an accident. An accident. Who got this? Is the last drawer. You're through, Kugat. 
You're fired. But Jim didn't do it. It was all my fault. Too late to protect him now. Oh, my beautiful Austin that gets 57 miles to the gallon. My lovely Austin that I wouldn't sell for $5,000. I would if I were you. Broadcasting System. Act Three of Our Husbands Necessary, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen, follows after a brief intermission. Mr. DeMille returns to the microphone. After the play, we'll make a strong attempt to find out what Gracie Allen is really like. But here's the third act of Our Husbands Necessary, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Jim Kugat's chance of becoming vice president has been completely wrecked, along with Mr. Atterbury's car. Now, with fear and trembling, Jim approaches the great man's office and knocks timidly on the door. Come in. Oh, so it's you, Kugat. Yes, sir. I I want to apologize for what happened last night, and I... Well, I, uh... Mr. Atterbury, would you please give me my job back? Give me your job back? Oh, you, you don't have to answer right away. Just consider it for a while. Will you, Mr. Atterbury? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do, Kugat. If you get another job during the next week, take it. But if you don't get another job, look for one. In the meantime, if you don't get in touch with us, we won't get in touch with you. Good day. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Atterbury. I've been with this bank a long time. I started here as an office boy and worked my way up step by step to what I am now. Are you kidding? That's one step. (laughs) But I've been here 11 years, Mr. Atterbury. I've seen a lot of men come and go in this bank. And a few of them with the cash drawer under their arm. Yes, I wonder how Cousin Harry's getting along in South America. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, won't you take me back? Well, all right. But you've got to start at the bottom again, Kugat. You... you mean... Exactly. Take that waste paper basket out and empty it. Oh, no. Office boy again? Yes. Mr. Atterbury. Oh, I... good morning, Chuck, my boy. Well, well, well. Good morning, W.J. Oh, and Kugat. Good morning, Kugat. Although I don't know that a vice president could be on such familiar terms with a clerk. Uh, Kugat is now the office boy. No. <laughs> Back where you belong, eh? You are the biggest heel I ever met. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, pardon me. You are the biggest heel I ever met, sir. <laughs> better. But to show you there's no hard feelings, Jim, old man, I'm giving a little party at the house tonight to celebrate my new job and announce my engagement to Myra. And I'd like to have you and your wife come, too. Well, now, that's mighty decent of you, Chuck. Yeah, he's a prince. I know you'll both be very happy when you watch Mr. O'Toole hand me his personal check for that factory site I sold him. Uh, Kugat, drop in my office around noon. I'll send you out for my lunch. Fine, I'll bring back a piece of cheese for you to nibble on. Oh, now, Jim, they'd only think we were poor sports if we hadn't. Come on, smile. Don't let them see you sulking. Be gay. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. Oh, look, here comes your friend Myra. 
probably wants to crow a little bit. Hello, Myra. Oh, hello, Janie. Having a good time, Jim? Yeah, fine. You wouldn't like to sit down, would you, Myra? Yes, yeah, thanks, I would. Your hair looks lovely, Myra. I like it so much better than the other night, but it was red. <laughs> Jim used to love red hair, didn't you, Jim? Well, I... It's I... so strange to think I almost married him. But I certainly wouldn't want to be Jim's wife right now. Oh, I don't blame you. We'd all be messed up in an awful bigamy case, wouldn't we? <laughs> I meant that my Chucky seems to be getting on so well, while Jim's only going backwards. Now, just a minute. Oh, don't you worry about Jim. Once he starts moving forward, nothing will ever stop him. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't it about time he started? Oh, he's always been a slow starter. He didn't kiss me until the third week of our honeymoon. Well, for goodness sake, why not? Well, Jim's very honorable, you know. We were all alone in the mountains, and he just didn't want to take advantage of the situation. <laughs> oh, here comes my Chuck. Well, 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 so here you are. Get ready for the big doings, Myra. In ten minutes, we're going to be rich and famous. O'Toole is inside, getting ready to make you speak. Oh, Chucky, I'm so proud of you. Come on. Now remember, dear, don't be discouraged. Keep a stiff upper chin, lip up. Thanks. Great man and a self-made man. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Terrence O'Toole. Thank you, thank you, one and all. I never dreamt when I was a lad that someday I would be addressing such a grand assemblage of ladies and gentlemen. For when I was a lad, every morning of my life, I had to crack ice in a pitcher to watch myself and then tread six miles through the freezing snow to get to school. Oh, no, not again. But here I am about to become one of you. And all of this was made possible by a young man who is with us tonight. One of the smartest young fellows I've met since my early youth. And I had to crack ice in a pitcher to wash myself and trudge six miles through the freezing snow to get to school. So here he is, the man who made my factory site possible... Chuck Rayleigh. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Uh, Chuck, my boy, it's a great privilege to present you with this personal check of mine in payment for the land you had the foresight to buy. I never thought when I was a lad breaking ice and pitcher to watch... Uh, yes, I know, Mr. O'Toole. And uh, anyway, thanks for the check. I don't want any credit for this deal, folks. It was nothing any fellow with brains myself couldn't have done. As I was saying to our office boy only the other day, Jim, I said... Cut it out, Rayleigh. Jim, I said, some men are lucky and smart. Some men are lucky and dumb. Some men are unlucky and smart. And then there's you. <laughs> so he kind of... Rayleigh, you've me. been asking for oh, this. Oh, Jim, don't. Oh, God, do you realize what you've done? Yeah. Gee, maybe I could have been a commando after all. <laughs> Run for your life. He's getting it. Uh, really? Who got? Act like gentlemen. Uh, Out of my way, Atterbury. I'm going to give it to him again. Now listen, you. <laughs> you gave it to Mr. Atterbury. Oh, gosh. Mr. Atterbury. Oh, my nose. My nose. You broke my nose. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you for assault and battery. My wife, Mr. Atterbury. Chuck, Chuck you're my witness. Don't you, Jay? I'd rather not. You're an employee and you'll be my witness. This man tried to murder me. No, no, no. It was a mistake. Oh, well, don't you worry, Jim. Let him sue you. I'll be your witness. I'll help you. Janie, please. Oh, but my testimony will fix things for you. That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> oh, well, they say you don't feel a thing with electrocution. Order. I want order in 
is caught. Mr. Prosecutor, this trial is preposterous. What should have been a ten-minute affair is now in its fourth hour. I can't help it, Your Honor. Heaven knows I've tried, but I simply cannot get a coherent story from this witness. Well, I'm doing the best I can. Your best, madam, is none too good. I'm warning you, Mr. Prosecutor, unless you can get some sense out of this witness, I will be forced to dismiss the case. All right, Mrs. Kilgate, we'll try again. From the beginning, and in words of one syllable. From the very beginning? Yes. All right. I swear to tell it with the whole No, no, no. We don't have to go all the way back to that. Is that a new suit you have on? Thank you. Now, Mrs. Kugat, your husband is accused of assault and battery. He used to have one exactly like it. Oh, oh, you don't say. Uh, now, the chief witness... He gave it away, though. He hated it. Mrs. Kugat, <laughs> will you stick to the facts? Well, you don't think I'm lying to you, do you? I mean to the facts of this case. Oh. Now, then, the chief witness for the complainant is Mr. Chuck Ray. You're acquainted with him, are you not? Oh, yes. Hello, Chuck. Hello, Janie. Hey. Yes. Yes, I see. Naturally, it would be superfluous to ask you whether you know the defendant also, since he is your husband. Oh, well, I know him all right. As a matter of fact, I knew him even before we were married. Uh, Yes. Obviously, though, he didn't know you too well. Your Honor, can't we do something to hurry this case along? I've got to make a train. Yes, Mr. Raley and I are leaving for Mexico to be married. Well, uh, if Mr. Atterbury will withdraw the charge, I shall be glad to dismiss the case. After which I will retire to my private chamber and get plastered. I will not withdraw the charge. I want justice. Well, I'd be glad to let Mr. Rayleigh leave if you have any other witnesses. Have you? No, Your Honor. The only other witness I have is Mr. Terence O'Toole, who is not in court. He's out at the factory site looking over the land he purchased from the witness, Mr. Rayleigh. Mr. Rayleigh will have to stay. What, W.J., I ought to catch that train. What's the matter with you, Chuck? You've got hours before your train leaves. Yeah, I know, but... Well, all right. Look, friends, I hate to interrupt my trial like this, but would it help if I pleaded guilty and got this thing over with? You would do us all a great favor, Mr. Cougar. Oh, no, Jim, you'll do nothing of the kind. But it will save me the trouble of convicting you, Mrs. Cougar. What trouble is it? I'm helping you. Uh, (laughs) Mrs. Cougar, do you mind if I make a statement? No, go right ahead, Judge. After all, it's your court. Uh, uh, Thank you. Uh, Mrs. Kugat, I have been sitting on this bench for 20 years. Would you like a cushion? (laughs) Mrs. Kugat, I have been a judge for 20 years, and in all that time I have never met a witness whose testimony or whose mental processes could even remotely be compared with yours. Oh, Judge, you're sweet. Yes, I am an old doll. In the first place, you had the effrontery to walk in here 40 minutes late this morning, and Oh, I couldn't help that, Your Honor. I had to go to the doctor. Indeed. And may I ask why? Well, because I had a dizzy spell. Really? How could you tell? (laughs) People know when they're dizzy, don't they? Some people. Uh, Mr. Prosecutor, we will get on with the case, if you please. You may take your little shovel and continue digging your political grave with this witness. Yes, Your Honor. Mrs. Kuget, this alleged attack on Mr. Atterbury was made at precisely 10.15 last night. Can you tell me what you were doing at that time? 10.15 last night. See now. I got up yesterday morning about 9, and then I had breakfast, and right after breakfast... I'm only interested in last night. Well, I know, but I have to sort of sneak up on it. <laughs> Your Honor, I think this has gone far enough. I'm going to change my plea. Oh, thank heavens. I've got to get out of here. Well, if it pleases the court, I would like to plead guilty as charged. Brother, does it please the court? Very well, Mr. Kugat. 
The defendant, having pled guilty to the charges brought by the complainant, it is my duty in law to pronounce sentence upon him. It is therefore my... Just a minute. Where is that Chuck Wrigley? What is the meaning of this interruption? I'll tell you what the meaning of it is. I want that Wrigley arrested right now. Silence. Order. Why, Mr. O'Toole, you're completely covered with mud. You're darn right I am. I'm mud from my head to my feet. Oh, don't you think you better break the ice in the pitcher and wash yourself? <laughs> Are you going to arrest that Rayleigh, or aren't you? Arrest Chuck? What for? He knows what for, don't you, Rayleigh? Well, why, why no? I have the faintest idea. Well, I've got to catch that train. Grab him, grab him. Me and my foreman just drove out to that land he sold us for my factory. We drove out there in a truck. Well? Well, as soon as we turned off the road onto my factory site, the truck sank through the ground and disappeared into a swamp. What? Holy smoke, Janie. You didn't have the filled-in swamp land after all. Chuck had it. No. Is this true, Rayleigh? Oh, what's the use? Sure it's true. I tried to turn an honest dollar, that's all. I suppose you realize our engagement is off, Chuck. Yeah, I guess so. Here's your ring back. <laughs> It also means that I'll be taking my factory to some other town. Uh, just a second, Mr. O'Toole. Not so fast. I, uh... <clears throat> I understand that Mrs. Cougat owns a splendid piece of land right next to the railroad. Huh, Jane? Oh, sure. Shrewd of me, don't you think? Yes, indeed. And I know you wouldn't mind selling it to Mr. O'Toole. At a profit, of course. Well, I wouldn't mind if it were an exorbitant profit. Would you, dear? Oh, oh no. Getting rich is one of my hobbies. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> I knew Jim wouldn't mind. After all, as vice president... Vice president? Mr. Atterbury! Pardon me for interrupting this beautiful thing, ladies and gentlemen, but I believe we were trying a case at law. Remember? Oh, my goodness. I forgot all about it. Well, we'll start all over again from the beginning. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth is nothing but... Case a... dismissed. <laughs> What's that? Really, Doctor? Oh, isn't that wonderful? I'm so excited. So that's why I had busy spells. Oh, yes, I'll tell him right away, Doctor. Goodbye. Oh, Jim, Jim, I have the most marvelous news. Really? I think you've done pretty well already for oh, one day. Oh, but this is the best news yet. We're going to have Junior after all. Oh, swell. How soon before we get him? October. Why wait that long to adopt the baby? Adopt him? Oh, no, no, we're not going to adopt him, darling. You mean... You mean... Gee, you must mean... Yeah, I do mean... Oh, boy. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Oh, boy, I'll say it is. But they... Wait a minute. Wait. It might be twins. Twins run in my family, you know. Remember? My father used to make bookends. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Who's it takes after my family? Well, what if it does? My father made Thousand Island dressing. Oh. In a moment, our stars will be back for a curtain call. Now, here's Mr. DeMille with our stars. Our husband's necessary is still the $64 question. And here's the answer. George Burns and Gracie Allen. <laughs> Judge, isn't it Jim Gracie, Mr. DeMille is a famous producer and director. He makes wonderful pictures, but he definitely is not cute. Now, uh, who asked you? <laughs> By the way, Gracie, uh, your own radio program, and in real life, 
You are actually married to George. So how about answering tonight's question for us? Uh, confidentially. Are husbands necessary? Well, confidentially. Gracie, remember that new hat you want. Oh, I was going to say yes. Oh, thanks, thanks. Um, husbands must be necessary. Practically every married woman has one. Thanks, kid. Uh, Mr. DeMille, uh, how do you think George and I would be in one of those pictures of yours? You know, a big outdoor picture with lots of action and cowboys and bandits? Oh, don't be ridiculous. Oh, I can see it now. The bandit Caesar Romero comes galloping up, jumps off his horse, sweeps me into his arms and kisses me. And then, just in the nick of time, George, you come rushing out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you hold his horse. <laughs> might get away. Well, it's a very expensive horse. I see what you mean. Well, forget it. Well, thanks for putting up with us tonight, CB. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.